Ephesians 5, 1-21 Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we... Uh have a look at this uh, passage that uh, Chrissy's just read for us. Let's, let's pray again. Let's pray. These words we sang. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfil in us all your purposes for your glory. Amen. Well, as Matt said, we're in uh, Ephesians 5, and uh, if you have this uh, book, then it's on page 24 or wherever you've got your Bible passage. Rules and regulations. Church is all about stuff that you're not allowed to do. Those are the rules that religious people have. How do you think about Christianity or church or religion? In fact, what did you think as you heard that reading read uh, from the Bible today? 
particularly if you've just joined us, you haven't been with us over the previous weeks when we've been looking earlier in this book of Ephesians, then you may well think that, yeah, that was all about rules. There they go again, you may have thought, killjoys, always telling people off. And yes, there is a danger uh, if we just think, just to think that, if we forget what's preceded in this letter of Ephesians and what's preceded the section that we're looking at today. So in the first half of the letter, Paul, the writer, he reminds us about some of the amazing, some of the mind-blowing things that God has done, things about God and his plan for humanity. And the practical application which follows in the second half of the letter begins to make sense when we grasp all the wonder of what God is, who God is, and all that he's done. So how are we going to understand, how are we going to understand this section? There's actually a, a little word or a phrase that keeps cropping up in Ephesians that you might have noticed. Um, it's actually, it's not quite so easy to see in the NIV translation. Um, but as Rob said, uh, well, it, it actually appears as live a life or live. But as Rob said a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's more literally walk. And the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, has this word walk three times in our section. It has it in verses 2, in verse 8, and again in verse 15. But we've already seen it a few times. We've seen it back in chapter 4, verse 1. I urge you to walk or to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then again in chapter 4, verse 17, you must no longer walk or live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So there's a lot about walking or about how we should be living. And here in the start of chapter 5, here it is again in verse 2. There it is again, live a life of love, walk in love. Why do we have to walk in love? Why do these verses... Why do we have these verses about the Christian way of living? What does it say? Why does it say we have to walk, live a life of love or walk in love? The simple reason is that we're following God's example. The imitators of God, we're in God's family We're his dearly loved children, and so we copy him. Do you notice how how children often copy their parents? Um, Sometimes uh, when I was working working as a GP, sometimes if a teenager or a young adult came to see me, um, it was fascinating sometimes just to notice the way in which you suddenly recognise some uh, little mannerism, some little... uh, some little posture or some little look or some little saying that they did and you just recognised it as just being like one of their parents. Well, if we're in God's family, it's natural natural to imitate him. But verse 2, verse 2 shows us that it's so much more than little mannerisms. The Lord Jesus, we read there, the Lord Jesus loved us to the extent that he gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We live a life of love because God 
has shown us his amazing love. Perhaps using the phrase walking is helpful because um, if we think about normal walking, the normal walking that we do with our feet, then, yes, yeah, sometimes, unfortunately, we do have to walk alone. But it's much better and it's much more, in a sense, normal if we walk with other people. And the word walk perhaps just emphasises the communal, the family aspect of our response to God's love to us. Our lives are to show a care and a concern for others, particularly for those in the family of God. Um, And, yeah, we're to show a care and concern for others that reflects God's love for us, particularly for those who are in the family of God. But before we go on to the, uh, the next section to think a bit about how we're to walk, how we're to live, let's do a little bit of revision from earlier in Ephesians to remind ourselves of why it is, why it is that we do this, why we walk in love, why we live the way we do. What is it that makes our behaviour an imitation of God? Why do we do that? In chapter 2 of Ephesians, we learnt that at one time we were dead. But Paul tells the Christian believers that he's writing to, he says, now in Christ you've been made alive. No relation with God was possible because they were like dead bodies. When we're dead, it's impossible to do anything for ourselves. And chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, pushes home the fact that we can't do anything to sort out the mess that we're in. It's only because of God's mercy and grace that we're made able to know God and to be in his family. And now here in chapter 5, here it is again. Here again is a reference to having been dead. You can see it there in verse 14. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul's actually probably thinking of several Old Testament quotations when he says that. Perhaps he's also thinking of Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, which says, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Now that just doesn't happen, does it? Dead bodies just don't rise. People sometimes talk about someone having a a near-death experience. When I was working as an anaesthetist in a hospital in London a long time ago, I was often on the crash team uh, in the hospital. Sadly, many of the patients didn't survive, but there were some that we did bring back from the edge of death. But that's not what Isaiah's talking about here that's not what that Isaiah quote about dead bodies is. No, it's more, like, it's more like the hundreds of dead bodies that I had to see before they could be cremated, often seeing them a day or two after the person had died. There's absolutely no way that one of those dead bodies would live again. And that, of course, is why the miracles of Jesus and the apostles and a and couple of Old Testament occurrences about bringing dead bodies back to life are just so amazing and just show God's amazing power proving who Jesus is and the apostles being God's representatives. And becoming a Christian is just as amazing. It's also an amazing miracle going from being dead to being alive. So let's just ditch any thought we might ever have had that, or perhaps we still have, that we could somehow work ourselves back into God's good books. The way we live, the reason that uh, we walk a life of love, 
that we live a life of love or that we walk in love, it's in response to God's love for us. So look, look back again at some of the language in chapter 1. God's grace he has freely given us. The riches of God's grace he's lavished on us. That's the reason why we walk in love, why we live the life God calls us to. And then there's another reference to walking in chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or as the ESV says, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Living good lives doesn't rescue us, but it is part of God's plan for us. You may remember chapter 1, verse 4, we read, He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. So why walk in love? Why live a life of love? What's the motivation? What's the reason? No, not, not to get into God's books. As a Christian believer, you're there already because of the Lord Jesus. We walk in love out of grateful thanks and devotion to our wonderful, amazing Saviour. Verse 15 tells us in our passage today, be very careful then how you live, or look carefully then how you walk. And in verse 8 we read, live as children of light, or walk as children of light. So let's ask ourselves, walking in the light, how do we do that? What does it look like to live as children of light? I wonder, did you notice all the contrasts that there are in this section? All the contrasts between those who don't belong to God's family and those who are living God's ways. <clears throat> impurity is contrasted with purity. It says not even a hint of any kind of impurity, verse 3, because, again, looking back to chapter 1, you are chosen to be holy and blameless in God's sight. Crude speech is contrasted with thanksgiving. No inheritance for the immoral, impure or greedy person is contrasted with the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The darkness that you once were is contrasted with the light that you now are. Unfruitful, the fruitless deeds are contrasted with the fruitful, fruit consisting of goodness, righteousness and truth. Unwise, being unwise is contrasted with being wise, understanding uh, what the Lord's will is. Oh, the wise also make the most of every opportunity. And the foolish are contrasted with understanding. And then finally, getting drunk is contrasted with being filled with the Spirit. There is a, there's a real difference between these two ways of living. The old way of living without God is depicted very negatively, whereas living God's way is shown to be so much better. Perhaps sometimes we look at other people and we find it hard to see the difference. Is there really such a great contrast? Well, of course, the descriptions here of human behavior, they're far from nice. It's a very dark description that comes with real warnings. There was plenty of horrific and murky, uh, sorry, horrific behavior and murky dealings in the society in which Paul's readers lived. Many of those who'd come to faith probably had pretty dubious backgrounds. 
but they changed. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And they're warned, don't go back into all sorts of immoral sexual practice. Don't go back to all those crude ways of talking, all that lying and that gossiping, all those unhelpful things that you used to say. Get on with your work and don't steal. and Don't be greedy. Don't want things that are not yours. Don't make them into idols, you know, into things and people that push God out of the place that he should have. But when you think of some of your non-Christian friends and family, you might say, well, they're not, they're not so different from me. They seem to live morally good lives. But that, of course, is to forget what we just saw earlier, that without Jesus, they are dead. And they don't enjoy all those positive blessings that those contrasts, those differences describe. All societies are dark. <clears throat> In some, it may be more obvious than others. A veneer of niceness and goodness doesn't actually make any difference to the contrast between dead and the living, between those who are spiritually dead and those who are alive in Christ. Whether, whether our current times are darker than previous ones is debatable. The truth is, as verse 16 advises, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's not just then in the first century, but throughout history, times or the days could be described as being evil. But despite that, there are many opportunities to influence for good. This section highlights, particularly highlights three areas of behaviour, sexual behaviour, greed and speech. They were significant issues then and they continue to be so now. There's no ranking, there's no hierarchy. The warnings that follow apply to all those areas. But I'm going to briefly talk about sex. It's a fact that uh, sexuality... Um, that issues relating to sexuality are at the forefront of many agendas in our society. And it's a current issue also for the Church of England. Our society appears to have declared complete sexual freedom. Anything goes. And it's not just the LGBTI issues. It's the whole idea that sex is about personal gratification and everyone having the right to have sex as well as its use and portrayal in entertainment and the media and in pornography. Holding to a biblical, orthodox Christian position of sex only within heterosexual marriage isn't exactly popular. But our passage has very severe warning for those who try to say differently, perhaps particularly for those who teach, who are described as deceiving with empty words. If you're listening and you're a Christian, then I'd like just to pose a couple of questions. Do we, do you sometimes, as a Christian, need to think about the way that we may all have done wrong? It's possible to harshly condemn others and forget that the Lord Jesus taught that we also need to repent of wrong thoughts, of lustful thoughts. And then a second question so how, how do we, how do you respond to others whose sexual practices 
whose sexual practice is contrary to God's ideal. Do we reject them or do we welcome and befriend them? In fact, we should ask ourselves, should we expect people we meet or know who are not Christians to suddenly change their behaviour in the area of sex or indeed in any other area, like greed or speech? When I was thinking about darkness and uh, light, it reminded me of the experience of living at a mission hospital just north of the equator in Kenya for a couple of months many, many years ago. At the equator, there's no gradual dawn. One minute it's dark, and then very, very quickly, it's suddenly very rapidly bright daylight. Whereas here in England, it's quite different, isn't it? The dawn comes on slowly and gradually it gets lighter and lighter. It might be like that for us and it might be like that for others as we come to know the Lord Jesus. Coming into living into the light occurs gradually. Old habits and ways of living gradually change as we become more like the people God has made us to be. Of course, sometimes it may be a bit like it is at the equator with sudden bright light. There may be a dramatic change when someone comes to trust in the Lord Jesus. Perhaps crude language does suddenly stop, but often it takes time. Yeah, the contrast between this old way and the new way of living, they're very real. Living as children of light is something we're unable to do Not because we try hard, but because, as we saw last week, we've taken off our old self and put on the new self. God is making us into the people we're meant to be. As God, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, does his transforming work in us, we need to be careful not to slip back into our old clothes. Perhaps as we look at some of the behaviours that are mentioned, we might be aware that in some areas we're acting more like a foolish or an unwise person. Being in God's family means that we come to share in his inheritance. Sometimes human families want to exclude some members so that uh, the share of the inheritance is bigger. I guess you may have heard about that happening sometimes. But in God's family, it's not like that. We should be welcoming, longing to welcome all sorts of people into the family as they take on the family likeness, becoming imitators of God. And there's no no need to be concerned about whether the inheritance will stretch. As we read in chapter 3, the riches of Christ are boundless, unsearchable, and his love surpasses knowledge. We'll never get to the bottom of the bag We'll never reach the end of the story. So let's be thankful. That's a good response to have to that. And as we come to the last section, let's think about that. In verse 18, there's the contrast between being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness leads to all sorts of behaviour that might not be normal. That, I suppose, was one of the arguments for Um, pubs being told to close early in the evening uh, during the pandemic, the reasoning being that drunk uh, people would stop doing social distancing and so on. But in contrast to someone not in control of themselves, being filled with the Spirit enables us to live God's way, 
fully aware of all the blessings that come from living God's way. And one way we can express um, our awareness of those blessings and our thankfulness, thankfulness for them is when we meet together. In our house groups, we're using the, uh, the study guide Six Steps to Loving Your Church. Uh, we're thinking about how we all have a part to play in ministering to each other in, in church, in the church family. In the last session that most of us may have done, in session three, we thought about ways to build each, up, each other up during a church service. Singing heartily was one of the suggestions. I wonder what you thought about that if you've just done that session. It's easy to forget, or perhaps we've never even realised, that part of what we do as we speak or as we sing communally in church is to be addressing one another. That would suggest that we might need to look at other people when we're sometimes as we sing to encourage them as we sing truths about God. Don't worry if you're, if you're not musical. It's making music in your heart to the Lord that matters. Of course, this all seems a bit odd in the present circumstances, doesn't it? Even when we are able to meet again, we won't be able to sing. Many of us will be very disappointed about this. And these verses are clearly telling us to use our songs to encourage each other and to praise God. Lee Gattis, who's the director of Church Society, he wrote an article in, in a, a couple of months, a few months ago, suggesting that perhaps the coronavirus has done us a favour in forcing us to reconsider what's most essential. Um, referring back to debates at the Reformation, when there was a concern that the English choral traditions would undermine the ministry of the word, he includes this quote from one of the writers of the prayer book. There should not be so much singing in church as to leave almost no time for preaching the word of God and holy doctrine. Lee, Lee Gatiss challenges us to, uh, or challenges those who read, who read the article, to check whether what we're really interested in deep down is just having a good old morning or evening out for a performance or a sing-along, whether that be in church or in chapel or in cathedral, doesn't matter what style it is. Is that, for some people, the motivation? Now, you may say that all, that's all a bit harsh, but I suggest it is worth checking out our motives and our attitudes. But if we're able to follow the advice in these verses here in Ephesians 5, our singing will enable us to encourage each other, as well as teaching us scriptural truth. And as we sing, however good or bad our own singing may be, we can be singing to the Lord in our hearts, from our hearts. And our overwhelming ambition is to always, is always to be giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. As we reflect back over these verses, we've thought about walking or living in love and in the light, being careful how we live, how we walk through life. Soon we'll be in Advent when we'll be thinking of the comings of the Lord Jesus, 
John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus and at John's birth, his father Zachariah spoke these words. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who's come bringing light into our dark world, offering us forgiveness as we turn to him and bringing us from death to life. For all, who know, for all who know that our prayer is that, for all of us, we pray, we pray that you would help us to continue to guide our feet. Help us to keep walking your ways as your children. We pray that you do this through your spirit. And if we don't yet call ourselves a Christian, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to clearly grasp that we can come to you, that we can move from death to life, from darkness to light. Help us to live as the people you want us to be. Help us to reflect you, to be true imitators of you, our Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.